it went straight down the middle. Then it started to hook. Welcome to another edition of For the Good of the Game and Bruce Devlin. Our guest today is part of the most recent class of the World Golf Hall of Fame. How about that? Yeah, I'll tell you what. Uh, five Hall of Fames this lady is being inducted into, and it's no wonder because she's a four-time major champion, won 11 times on the LPGA Tour, and what a thrill it is to have. And a lot of people, when she was a young girl, called her little, but I think she's pretty big. Susie Burning, thanks for joining us today. We look forward to talking about your wonderful career. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it very much. Great to have you, Susie Maxwell Burning. And uh, as we've talked about before, we're here to tell your story. And so uh, that requires us to go back to the very beginning. We know you were born in in California, but uh, you ended up in Oklahoma, didn't you? Yeah, my father actually, uh, oh, heavens, when I was first born, he had a restaurant in Azusa, California, and it burned down with a fire. So then he went out to Banning, California, and he bought, to my understanding, 80,000 turkeys. And he had a contract with the armed services during the war to supply the turkeys meat. And anyway, a, my understanding, and I was, I was about four here, there, and a yeah. forest fire came through because we were up in the mountains outside of Banning. Anyway, they got about half of his turkeys were roasted in the fire. <laughs> and he said he's getting the hell out of the state. And I don't think he actually knew where he was going to drive to. But apparently he just stopped in Oklahoma and uh, actually rented a house right near the Oklahoma City Zoo. And no longer did we move in there and the leopard escaped from the zoo. (laughs) (laughs) We were, you know, my brothers, my three brothers and I, I mean, we were, I was a tomboy, tom girl, and we were outside all the time. So, boy, we thought we were going to go find the leopard. Yeah, I bet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you mentioned your three brothers, that being Jerry, Bill, and Roger. And I remember you acknowledging Roger, who was there at your Hall of Fame ceremony. Yes, Roger, my youngest brother. Uh, he's been in golf all his life. He started out as a, actually a salesman for Dunlop, but that lasted for about a year. And then he became an assistant pro and he worked under Eddie Marins. And then he became director of golf for Marriott. And he ran 19 courses at one time for Marriott. Then I think he was probably 50, and he retired from there and started a, uh, he doesn't like me to call it a store, but it was called a Celebration of Golf, and it was world-known golf uh, store in Scottsdale, and he had one in Vegas, too. Yeah, right. I remember it. So, yeah. so you probably didn't catch that leopard, I would guess. No, we didn't. No, no, uh-uh, no. I think they- Thank they, goodness. Yeah, they, they <laughs> ended up putting too much poison in a meat to catch him, and he, he, he uh, died. Ah, uh, it's too bad. Uh, well, you moved to Oklahoma City when you were 13. Understand your your dad uh, took care of a couple of horses as well that you sort of fell in love with. Yeah, you know, I don't know why dad, he always rented, if if I remember right, but and he rented places that had a barn and a pasture. And, you know, at the time we had no animals except dogs. And so one of his co-workers had two horses. One was just a brand new colt. And uh, asked my dad, since he had this barn and pasture, if he would take care of his horses while he went to Oregon and worked for the summer. And, um, so I fell in love. I was about 13, 14, and I took care of the horses. I fed them and 
fell in love with them and uh, actually, through love, trained the cult. And, um, you know, because she was just about, oh, the cult was maybe a year old or so. And, uh, you know, I got on it. My father's watching me. He says, you're going to get bucked off. And I said, no. No, you know, uh, put the (laughs) saddle on, put the blanket on first, of course, the saddle. And the cult never bucked or anything. I just got on her and she didn't know what to do, I think. But anyway, startled. (laughs) But so that was kind of the start of my in love with horses and it went from there um, to their names. Uh, their names were uh, Ribbon and Joker. Ribbon and Joker. Yeah, Ribbon was the mom, and Joker was the colt. And I don't know how I came up with the name Joke uh, uh, Joker, but the the mare, her name was uh, Ribbon. From she was a she did some quarter horse stuff in the rodeo. Mm. I tried once, and uh, <laughs> I did the bell racing okay. Uh-huh. And this is before I was introduced to golf. Uh, just a little country rodeo in Britain, Oklahoma. And I did the barrel racing, okay, and didn't fall off or anything. And then they had the flag racing, and I had not practiced flag racing. That's just where you ran your horse out <laughs> to one barrel, and you pick up a flag, and whoever can run it back again. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I pulled the horse too quickly on the reins, and the horse reared up, and I fell off. So, it needs to say I never had two saddles, so... When I took my friend's riding, I had to go bareback. <laughs> <laughs> well, those horses, or at least one of them, I think Joker probably enters into the story uh, because, uh, as story goes, he got loose one time. And what happened? Well, okay, this was the summertime. I, I think I was 13 and a half or so in the summer. And um, I had, had done other sports in school and stuff, and so... Anyway, two of my brothers, my two young, my Roger, my youngest, and Bill, my next, just a little bit older than me, they were, there was a golf course nearby, and they were caddying at this golf course. And my father kept saying, you know, we can't keep the horses because we can't afford to feed in the winter. And so um, I know that uh, Roger and Bill were bringing home money by caddying, so I went over to this golf course. And I didn't know who I was talking to, frankly. I didn't know his title at the time. Uh, and asked him if I could caddy. My two brothers were caddies, and I mentioned their names, of course. And he says, girls don't caddy. Mm. So mm. I kind of went home with my head down. And i tell you what, it wasn't maybe two weeks later. Then there was a bridal path around this public golf course, okay? The Shriners had built this bridal path because they had beautiful stables, and they'd use it to exercise their horses. Anyway, um going for a ride, and took the colt. I was riding the mare, a ribbon, and a colt joker I had on a lead rope. Oh, I don't know. So I wasn't paying attention or something. Anyway, we're on the bridle path, and it surrounded the golf course, okay? And um, yeah. I wasn't paying attention, and all of a sudden, joker's running free. And <laughs> I'm now chasing joker. Um, and, I, you know, I had no idea why this grass was cut so low and, you know, kind of <laughs> went between the trees and stuff. But I'm chasing the colt. You know what I'm about to. And then um, find out later that uh, I'd also kind of chased the colt right over a green, too, part of a green. Uh-oh. And anyway, all the, I mean, probably five minutes after the colt got loosed, uh, word got out, I guess, and all of a sudden I'm being chased by all these uh, – vehicles 
you know, didn't know what they were at the time, but they were Cushman, you know, workers' vehicles. And uh, finally, the colt, she ran into a creek, and she'd never been in water before, and she just came to a dead halt. And so I was able to get her. And these mm. people on the in the Cushman vehicles, well, they yelled at me and said that they're taking me back to and follow them, and they're calling the police, and uh, I'm going to call my call my father, and blah blah blah. And so anyway, I was taken back to I find out later it was called the pro shop clubhouse, you know, at a public mm-hmm. facility, and here comes this man out, and I'm crying, and he looks at me, he says. I've seen you before. I said, yeah, you're the one that told me that I couldn't caddy. And I think he felt sorry for me. And he says, well, is that why you ran your horses over my golf course? And I says, I I didn't even know what it was. I I saw these people hitting this white thing and then chasing after again. So anyway, um, we started talking and. He made me feel a little bit more at ease, and he wasn't going to call the police and stuff like that. And uh, found out that he and his family lived real close to where we lived. And he had two young children, and so we kind of made an agreement that I would teach the two young children, his two young children, how to ride a horse. And he'd forget that this ever happened. So the rest of that summer, I would, uh, I think once a week, I'd go either go pick him up or they'd come over to my place, and I taught him how to ride. And we became friends, and actually my family became friends with the, the children's family. You see, turned out to be UC Ferguson, who was the head mm. of Lincoln Park. Yeah. Um, and uh, we became quite good friends over the summer. And then, of course, I went back to high school and didn't touch a club until the next summer. And he found, you know, he found out I played all kinds of sports, and so. Anyway, the next summer, I guess this is when I was about 14, he calls me up and he says, there's something he wants me to see. Uh, And I said, well, can I ride my horse and tie it up behind the pro shop? He said, yeah. Hmm. So I did. And he said, just just bring one of them, he said. And I said, yeah. (laughs) And uh, anyway, so I do that and I'm in jeans, you know, I'm cowboy boots, probably, you know, who knows. And he takes me down this hill. And there's laughter and there's people kind of in a horseshoe shape, I thought. Well, it turns out it's Patty Berg giving a golf clinic. And, you know, I mean, she's laughing up a storm and she's taking her hat and switching it around, you know, saying if you want to hit a slice, you got a hat going this way. I hope the hat going the other way. She she just was funny as heck. And I said, that's what golf is? Huh? She's having a lot of fun. I said, I'd like to try that some. I started getting free lessons from UC, and, you know, he'd only spend five, ten minutes with me and then leave me alone and then come back an hour later and see how I'm doing. And I had to hit balls. There was no driving range at that time. So there was a section down below the pro shop where I literally had to hit balls um, from a corner of the fairway or rough, and I had to hit over a little creek. Well, (laughs) Half my balls ended up in the creek, and I went in the creek to get them, of course. Sure, yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah. So anyway, that was my start in golf, and I, I just got addicted to it. And uh, by the time I really got addicted, I was 16, and I'd sold my two horses for a car so I could drive to the golf course. Hmm. 
What a story. So that's kind of how it started. Patty Berg was probably working for Wilson at the time. She was, and she was giving clinics, you know, for $25 a clinic she got. In fact, my first contract was with Wilson Sporting Goods Store, Wilson Sporting Goods, and I had to go down to Naples, and Patty, go. I forgot who else was with me, but uh, another couple players had signed with Wilson, and Patty would teach us how to give clinics. Her, yeah, it hmm. sounds like uh, she ran a uh, uh, golf clinic boot camp down there for she you She did, all. yeah. Um, but can you imagine she did that for $25? Now, of course, they paid her expenses, I'm sure, but... Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, it's it's claimed that she gave over 16,000 clinics in her career, which is sort of astounding to think about that number. Yeah, and 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 she used to when you know when, when I first joined the tour, we did what we called a swing parade and uh it was Wednesday afternoons and Patty Berg would be the MC for this swing parade and she would assign each player or some players, okay, you got to hit a three iron today at this clinic. You got to hit a two iron. You got to hit a five iron. You got to hit a wig. And so Patty kind of, mm. and being a rookie, she gave me the two iron. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's go. interesting. You mentioned that uh, uh, as, a, as a young lady, you played a few other sports. Tell us a little bit about the other sports you played before you got into golf. Well, I, I, you know, I played tennis. I got to the, I think it was the quarterfinals state high school in tennis. Uh, I played softball with my brothers and played on the softball team in high school. Fortunately, our high school in Oklahoma, Northeast High School, you had to take a fifth-hour sport, which I think is wonderful. Now, badminton would count, and some some would just, uh, I think, uh, do gymnastics, you know, in the mm-hmm. gym or just exercise, or whatever. But you had to do something. And I picked tennis after in the spring, it was tennis, and I think in the fall, it was softball. Mm-hmm. And then they didn't offer golf, golf wasn't offered. And then when I got addicted to golf at the end of my sophomore year, um, I said, hey, you know, I'm not doing tennis, I'm not doing uh, softball, I'm doing golf. And, of course, they let me do that. Yeah. Did they have teams uh, then when you entered high school? Did they already have uh, men's and women's golf teams? Uh, you know, they had boy, they had the boys, men's. And, you know, I've been told I won three state high school champions. But <laughs> I don't recall. Uh, we didn't have. I know my second, maybe my first, there was only two girls. And then I conned a couple of my other friends who did sports with me to be on my team because to go to the state, you had to have a team. Yeah, sure. So I conned. And I know I shot 121 one of these, one of the first ones <laughs> I ever played in. But see, there was no competition. So there really wasn't girls golf. Yeah. And yeah. I, you know, it started picking up after I got involved in it. And this was way before Title Nine. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, a long. So time. the world was world was a little different for for women athletes. Um, well, you did play in the nineteen sixty three Oklahoma Women's Amateur. I did. Oh, you did, which you, which, which you won, by the way. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah, but you, you know, you, at some point, your game must have really started developing. Was that in high school where you you, you start feeling like I'm getting pretty good at this? Well, you know, from Oklahoma. There was a Beth Stone and um, 
Betsy Cohen. Both were on the tour, and both from Oklahoma. Betsy Cohen had just graduated from OU, I think the year before or something. And I had beat her in a state tournament, I recall, mm-hmm. as she, when she was an amateur. But um, I think what really uh, helped my game develop was playing on the men's golf team at OCU. Gotcha. Um, I, you know, I'm not going to say I tried to hit it hard, but I think I increased my distance by maybe swinging faster, you know. Um, and I think that really helped me develop my golf game and was able to allow me to maybe make it on the tour. Hmm. We've talked to a few other ladies who did compete, again, pre-Title Nine in college on the men's team. And uh, they all say it helped their game. Uh, you know, it, it added to the pressure, but it also forced them to, to, as you say, maybe swing a little harder than you might have been comfortable with just to try to keep it up with the boys. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, and and, and he, he, he always wanted to beat the boys. I mean, even if, <laughs> even if the guy was your best friend or he, he wasn't, even if you didn't know him, you know. There took, yeah. um, I guess, a certain pride in beating the guys and, and, of course, Coach Abe Lemons was our golf chaperone. He wasn't really a coach as such. but he, And he was a famous basketball coach from Oklahoma. Absolutely, yeah. 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 And he entered me in tournaments as S. Maxwell. And we're up in Wichita. We're up in and what did the S stand for? Well, we're in Wichita. We take the school <sighs> van up to Wichita from Oklahoma. And I, we get out of the van, and the coach from Wichita, Coach Lemons, you got here. You, what's what's S stand for? And S- S- Coach Lemon said Sam will do, and so he entered me into Sam. <laughs> the so the boys were a little bit shocked when they Sam showed up. Sam yeah. showed up as a female, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, you were the first woman to receive a golf scholarship at uh, Oklahoma City University, and. Uh, as you said, uh, Abe Lemons was really much more famous as a basketball coach. Interesting you use the term chaperone because that's sort of my recollection back in high school days, particularly the little small towns around us. Most of the coaches were there because they earned a little stipend for the extra hours after school. They didn't know much about the golf game, did they? That's very true. Yeah. So where'd you get your coaching then during your during your college days? Was that still coming from Mr. Ferguson? Yes. Yes, it was. Yeah. And um I got a I got a, a scholarship uh, from OCU. I think they paid. You know, they gave me free books and tuition. And then there was a group of businessmen in Oklahoma City, and, and their organization was called Golf Incorporated. And they actually gave four scholarships a year to younger, soon to be freshmen in college. And they gave us I I think if I recall right. We got five hundred dollars a semester. Hmm. Supposed to be just you know help us with our books or tuition or whatever, and I stayed at home, so I literally <laughs> I made money going to college. <laughs> <laughs> Not many people can say that. No, I know it. So uh, yeah, because I lived at home, and uh, it, it was great. And then my brother, actually Roger, received a scholarship. He's three years younger than me. He received a scholarship when he was college age, and he went to OSU. Now, he didn't get his scholarship from Golf Incorporated uh, for his playing ability, but they saw that he was 
a merchandiser and a, you know, I'm going to pursue the, the hmm. golf world somewhere, somehow. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, it's a great organization that helped a lot of us go through college and stuff. Yeah. So when did you think about uh, playing professionally? When did that enter your mind? Hear that? That's the sound of a walk-off albatross, a two on a par five to win a two-day golf tournament. That shot happened to me, one in 600 million odds. Since then, people call me Albie. Now, I've told this story so often, my friends can't take it. I'm pretty sure my wife, next time I tell her, she's going to leave me. So I decided to start a podcast to tell the entire world about it because it deserves it. It's the craziest shot you've never heard of. And guess what? There's tons more stories like this all around golf. And that's what our podcast is all about. Join me and my fellow degenerates, Pam and Shepard as we dive into them. Insane bets, crazy what-if scenarios, and all the you-had-to-be-there type moments in golf. Find us wherever you get your podcast. Did I tell you about my albatross? Well, after, you know, I, I guess when I became a senior in college, I'm thinking, what am I going to do? And uh, I, at that time, like I said, Beth Stone and Betsy Collin were on tour you know, I could see where they were winning a little bit of money here and there. And I kept telling myself, you know, I can beat those. I beat them then. I beat them a couple of years before. And if they can make money out there, maybe I can. So, and I do not recall how you announced you were going to turn professional. But uh, I, after college, uh, the gentleman, Bill, Bill Waterspoon, who was the head pro at Southern Hills, asked me to come up and uh, play a few rounds with him and wanted me to, you know, pl- play a, a private mm-hmm. club and get used to, you know, different clubs instead of just hanging around Lincoln Park. Nothing wrong with Lincoln Park, of course. But so he he and some Southern Hills members um, gave me some money. I can't remember how much, but, and if they said, if you want to turn pro, this will get you started. And so... I called, I guess, I don't know who I called. Maybe they called for me. And the next thing I know, I'm entering uh, my first tournament, which was in Muskogee, Oklahoma. And that was 1964. Was there any school they had to go to back then to qualify to get on the tour? No, you know, Bruce, um, if I'm correct, I think the stipulation was you had to finish in the top two-thirds, three out of four of your events and if you didn't make it you had to take four weeks off and try it again ah okay that's interesting i you know i i made it my first well i finished six my first tournament i believe i was six and the one i won four hundred and forty dollars my first tournament i thought wow is this gonna be good (laughs) yeah i'm rich yeah i'm rich and then the following year i was very fortunate to I go back to Muskogee and I won that, and that was my first win. Yeah, well, let's talk about that. Uh, the professional record for Susie Maxwell, burning, turning pro at age 23 in 1964. She had 13 professional wins, including L- 11 LPGA Tour victories, as Bruce had said at the top. And uh, you came out of the box firing. I think I remember Judy Rankin saying that uh, at least her rough homework uh, suggested that in 1964 – the total purses you all played for was maybe three hundred and five thousand dollars. Yeah, if that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You could finish a tournament and not even make any money. 
But if you're finishing the money, I, I had a few checks, I think, were for $31. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Bruce, probably true of your time, too. I think I remember you guys talking about, you know, you could make the cut, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get a check. Yeah. No, that's true. That's true. And uh, and uh, Susie's first check was 400 some odd dollars. I can remember Jack Nicholas. His first check was $33.33. He's... He tied for whatever position it was, like 50th in the golf tournament and uh, with two other guys, and they split the $100, which was the last prize. So that surprises me, Jack. I wonder what he shot. <laughs> oh, that I don't know what he shot, but, but he, 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 was, he just barely got in the money the first time, and I think it was in, I think it was in Hartford. If, if my memory, anyhow, it doesn't matter, but it just goes to show that uh, you think you think the uh, prize money's changed a little bit today, Susie? My word. Has it ever? You know, it's kind of like I was joking with Tiger at the uh, Hall of Fame thing and asking if he wanted to trade checks or something. You know? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, uh, it's unbelievable. But, you know, I think we had more fun. Yeah, I think so, too. We had more fun, and we were we were closer knit, and we still, you know, there's there's fifteen ladies on tour that I still keep in touch with, Isn't and so great? we're just, you know, we're friends, good friends. So, and you jumped out in '64 uh, after joining the tour and became the uh, rookie of the year that year. Yeah, I guess I was the only person that was new on tour. I don't know. <laughs> I doubt that. <laughs> I don't think that's true. <laughs> uh, well, she won four majors, as you mentioned, including one Western Open back in 1965, which uh, a lot of our listeners would be familiar with uh, the Western Golf Association and its association with the men's tournament by the same name, as well as some fine amateur events. And then uh, three U.S. Opens. And we're going to talk about every one of those. But uh, you mentioned, Susie, your first win did come. Kind of almost a home win, wasn't it? Uh, Muskogee Country Club in the 1965 Muskogee Civitan Open by five shots over, listen to these names, Mickey Wright, Kathy Cornelius, and Judy Kimball. I didn't realize I won by five shots. Yeah. There you go. Because I think I was tied for the lead going into Sunday. I can't remember. Uh, yeah, that was uh, a shock to my system. <laughs> I think the best <laughs> I'd done... In my rookie year, that was 64, was a third-place finish, I think, in Phoenix. So um, that was kind of a shock to me. Do you remember much about the tournament? No, I remember the golf course, uh, but about the tournament, no, not really. Well, it was it was here, as you mentioned, the previous year where you made your professional debut and. There was another young lady that made her professional debut in 1964 at that same golf course. That was Althea Gibson. Was that Althea's first one? It was. Yeah. Well, I do recall that uh, I don't think they let her go in the clubhouse. Interesting. How times have changed. I know she had a tough time, and I know Marlene Hagee became really good friends with Althea and helped her out a lot in getting hotel rooms and stuff like that. Mm. The traveling was not easy for Althea at the, at the beginning. Yeah, and the, that was still about the time uh, the PGA Tour was uh, a white-only or Caucasian-only 
tour as well. It was about that time they removed their Caucasian-only uh, clause in their contract, didn't they, Bruce? They had one in the contract? They had one in their bylaws, which they removed. As a matter of fact, uh, there was a PGA Championship that was scheduled to be played in, in California, and uh, it was in the, I want to say it was in the mid-60s. It was uh, wow. uh, scheduled to be played, sorry, early in, in 1962. And uh, the golf course said, look, if you don't allow blacks, you're not going to play your PGA championship on our golf course. So they moved the tournament to Aronimink in 1962, and that's where Gary Player won it. That's sort right. of fitting that Gary would win that tournament. Hmm. We played, I was with Charlie Sifford, uh, same sort of thing, Susie, when he wasn't allowed in the clubhouse at a golf tournament in uh, Memphis, Tennessee. Yeah, and, and the, you know, Marlene would go to a hotel and, and, and pay for two rooms. And because a few of them didn't allow Althea to stay. So, isn't that something? Yeah. Boy, how times have changed. Yeah. Isn't that great, though, that they have? So that first win, uh, so the, the, the gallery was estimated to be 1,500 people. Really? Hmm. And for the inaugural event, 1962, 90 Muskogee businessmen each put up $100 to uh, to sort of set the purse and, and uh, attract uh, the talent to come into town for that inaugural event. Uh, and then I think in 65 was the final event there. But uh, that club did ho- host a U.S. Open, uh, didn't it? You probably yes, played they, in it. Yes, they did. Yeah, I did in play. The, I didn't play good. But. In, in 1970. Or did I, maybe I didn't play. When was that one? 1970, so that was right in between your wins because you won in 68 I might and have been pregnant. I don't think I played, but I don't remember. Hmm. You know, that's one thing that's hard to, you know, go on the Internet and find a lot of detail on your playing record from back in those days, as yeah. it is for everybody in your era. Yeah. That's true. I have some old players' guides from 1965 and 66, and they're about – four pages thick and now you look at our <laughs> player's guide you know in fact they don't even make them anymore but you know they're 300 pages like a book yeah yeah, yeah. well the next uh, tournament was a big one bruce it sure was 65 women's western open at beverly country club three one by three over marlene hagee <laughs> you remember that i do yes i do and, i bet you, you know, do um during the practice rounds, Beverly was one tough golf course. Let me tell you. Or it probably still is. Um, it is. Fine old Donald Ross course. Yeah. yeah. And during the practice rounds, I I didn't even come close to breaking 80. I know that. And <laughs> I don't remember my exact, my first three rounds, but I do know my last round was a 69. And it was the only round in the 60s for the whole tournament. Yeah, and I just, thing. I remember starting out, and I think I one-putted the first six greens. Oh, my. And that got me going, yeah. And you were you must have been the only, because you beat Marlene by three, and, and you finished a two-under, so you were the only player in the field that broke par on that golf course. Hmm. And my total was two-under? I didn't realize that. Hmm. Yeah, it was. Yeah. 73, yeah. 72, 76, 69. Hmm. Okay, good. <laughs> Well, I will, I'll tell you this, that golf course hasn't gotten any easier over the years. That was one challenging golf course. Yeah. Well, and it's too bad, you know, the Western Open. It was a it was a great tournament run by wonderful people, uh, and, you know, it's too bad it didn't continue. 
Yeah, so that was a major on the LPGA Tour from 1912 uh, and the predecessor tour from 1930 all the way through to uh, to 1967. So it still had a couple playings left before uh, that mm-hmm. stopped being a major. As a matter of fact, during much of your playing years, there were probably only two majors that you were competing for, right? The U.S. Open and the LPGA Championship. That's so true. And now they have like five majors. Five now. So really counting the majors that people win nowadays versus the majors that uh, Kathy Whitworth won or people in my time, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to measure. Yeah. Yeah. My point, my point is for you winning four majors during the, the years you played, that was a pretty high percentage of the majors you actually ended up playing in. Uh, probably so. I, I don't recall. I finished second in the open in 67, I know. And then I finished second in um, the LPJ championship uh, held in the Cascades outside of New York. And I, to this day, I remember making a stupid decision on the third round that cost me the tournament there. Well, let's go fast forward a couple of years. We're now at the 1967 Louise Suggs Invitational at Cypress Creek Country Club in Florida. And you won that one in a playoff with Sandra Haney, who we're going to be talking to on Thursday on the on the program. Oh, okay. Tell her I for me. <laughs> yeah. And we'll do that. Yeah. Do you recall much about uh, the details of these tournaments that go back that far? Well, that one I, I do. And uh, <laughs> it, it's uh, after 18 holes, I was tied with Sandra Haney, as you said, on Sunday. And uh, I had to go to the bathroom. So I went into the clubhouse, went to the bathroom, and then I had to kind of sneak under the ropes and through the people to get to the first tee. And as I popped up out of the crowd and under the ropes, I'm almost face to face with Haney, and I says, "Bet you didn't think I was going to show up, did you?" <laughs> you know, I mean, I guess I must have been some little smarty ass person. But anyway, I think that shook her up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I won. I think the first hole. I did remember. you? It's hard to find. Yeah, it's hard to find detailed records of all that. As you know, as, as good as the internet is, uh, some of this detail is very, very difficult to find. So we still have to rely on your memory from back in that day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that I do remember that incident and that that um, and and yeah, I'll tell you another funny story. Uh, or maybe I should wait on this one. This was this involves the oh the six. Seven U.S. Open. Yeah, go ahead. Right. So, sure. yeah, uh, that's the one that Catherine Lacoste won as an amateur. Oh, the, yeah, at the Homestead. Yeah, and I, yeah, at yeah. the Homestead, and I finished second. She was the French amateur. And I do recall. I mean, I was tied with her. She did play good. She had birdied, I think, the seventeenth hole. And meanwhile, I am bogeying the sixteenth hole by flubbing a chip. And I mean, to this day, I can recall the chip. Uh, I wasn't used to Bermuda grass, and the grass kind of grabbed my club. And anyway, after the tournaments over with, and you know, I, I don't think we drank then. I mean, maybe we had a beer. I don't remember. Anyway, we're all staying around a, a lodge and, on cabins, and so Lacoste shirt. You know the shirt with the alligator? Sure, oh, yeah, that was her yeah. father, R- R- Renee. Yeah, well, yeah. I went knocking on various 
doors of LPGA players, and they said, I know you wear Lacoste shirts. Give me. Let me have them. And I <laughs> went to Haney, and why do you want my shirt? I said, just let me have your shirt. Well, there was a barbecue and a bomb fire. <laughs> that's that's oh, where the my. shirts ended up. Oh, oh Most of them, most everybody thought it was funny, except uh, Sandra Haney was rather upset with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you weren't finished. I was going to say, you oh. weren't finished in 67 after finishing second there. You weren't also won uh, in Milwaukee. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot that one. <laughs> I just put it, I made every put I looked at on that one. I remember Is that I right? Good old bullseye, and boy, you know, it's not funny how you remember things. Uh, I remember I was, someone told me, or I just figured it out, I think, if I keep the putter real low to the ground going back and low to the ground coming through, the ball would just roll and roll and roll and just disappear. And I made so many putts that tournament by, you know, putting just outstanding. Well, you must have, huh? Yeah, she won by, what, five? Yeah. Five over four players, and one of those players was Judy Rankin. Oh, my good friend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're gonna, we just got Judy scheduled yesterday, so we're going to be talking to her in a couple of weeks also and uh, really looking forward to that visit. But, yeah. yeah, you must have been rolling the rock. This was the, the Milwaukee JC Open at North Shore Country Club, which um, I'm familiar with because I lived in Milwaukee for a while. Yeah, good course. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's go on, Bruce, to that next, uh, or I guess the first U.S. Women's Open win. Yeah. Mazellum Springs. Yeah, Mazellum Springs. Yeah, three over, guess who? Mickey Wright. What a win, huh? Yeah. You had to be proud of that. Well, it was kind of a shock to my system uh, because uh, I, I was married seven weeks before, seven or eight weeks before. So I was newly I was newly wed, and I had only played one tournament before that one after the marriage, and that was in Sutton, Mass. I remember. In okay. fact, I was playing. I went up to Sandra Spusik and I says, "Hey, we're paired together at the U.S. Open first round," and she says, "No, no, we aren't. I'm playing with some amateur, Bernie." <laughs> Well, the USPA had just me, me entered as Susie Bernie, not Susie Maxwell. Yeah, and nobody knew who you were, huh? She says, no, you're. But anyway, um, <laughs> you know, I, I led, I think I led every day there, shot a 69 the first round and never looked back. But I, I really say, because of being a new bride, my mind was not on my golf once I got home, or once I got back to the hotel and stuff. Mm. And um, to this day, I say, you know, everybody says, oh, it's too bad you had children and all that. No, it's not. They kept my mind away from golf once the round was over with. And uh, I, I really contribute. Um, being married and having children on tour helped me be more relaxed and not worry about my golf so much. Yeah, because your daughters, uh, uh, Robin and Cindy, they uh, they went out on tour with you during mm -hmm. the summertime. Pretty much every summer, yeah. That sounds familiar, Bruce. Yeah, it does, doesn't uh, it? A lot of you probably caravan together from town to town. It was almost like uh, I, I always looked at it. Uh, I think I've mentioned this in another episode with somebody. 
back in the 60s in particular, it had to feel a little bit like a barnstorming circus going to town to town and setting, <laughs> yeah. up, set, setting up the circus, you know, and, and, and holding yeah. the event and then tearing it all down, packing up the cars and off you go again, right? Well, I never thought of it that way, but we definitely caravanned a lot. You know, and I, I to this day, I ask myself, how, how, Bruce, how did we find places? I don't I mean, know. No GPS. No GPS. I mean, we yeah. got what they called a fact sheet sometimes. That would tell sometimes. Us, yeah, tell us what golf course we're playing. Um, but it didn't tell us how to get there. Uh, <laughs> I guess we stopped at a lot of gas stations and asked a lot of directions. I don't know. Well, I remember, I remember carrying with me one of those... Uh, uh, Maps, you know, where for, you got each state, you had a map for each state. Like yeah. A road atlas. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, like an atlas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was how I sort of tried to find my way around. Somehow we did. Well, there weren't as many roads in, maybe. Yeah, that's probably true, too. I don't know, but it, it, I, I, of course, I was driving back then, too, but I, I marvel at how people got around back, back then because, as you said, uh, you had an address, but uh, boy, looking at some of those maps, how to figure that out must have been a challenge. Yeah, yeah, especially when you're by yourself. Now, if you if someone else is in the car with you, then of course they can be telling you where to go and what to do and stuff. Um, you know, I mean, uh, at one time, let's see, I don't quite. Maybe you do know, uh, Mike. Uh, the LPGA at one time. Whew, I want to say it was about 1967. If you finish in the top 10, you got a tornado, Oldsmobile tornado to drive. And we drove 6,000 miles, and then we got a new one. And we had our name on both sides of the doors, and tornado was the hot sports car then. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. And yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> and one day, I'm driving from L.A., and I think I'm heading to El Paso. I got stopped twice for doing over 100 miles an hour. I mean, <laughs> you couldn't feel it. You think you're going <laughs> 60, and all of a sudden you're going 100. And, um, you know, I, I that time, you know, when you got a ticket out of state, and they just told you they gave you a, and they said, mail it in. Yeah. Well, Tr- I didn't trust mail, you. I didn't mail <laughs> you didn't it in. mail them in. <laughs> to California. <laughs> and, the check's uh, in the mail, huh? Yeah, yeah, and I'm in Chicago, <laughs> and my father calls me, and he says, um, there's a certified letter here for you from the state of California. Uh, Dad, open it up. What's it say? Oh, there's a warrant for my arrest in the state of California. <laughs> <laughs> a scoff law in the house. Yeah, so I, I, I was careful in California for seven years. <laughs> oh, I bet. Thank you for listening to another episode of For the Good of the Game. And please, wherever you listen to your podcast on Apple and Spotify, if you like what you hear, please subscribe, spread the word, and tell your friends. Until we tee it up again, for the good of the game, so long, everybody. Whack down the fairway, it went smack down the fairway, then it started to slice just a smidge off line. It headed for two, but it bounced off nine. My caddy says, long as you're still in the state, you're okay. Yes, it went straight down the middle, quite a way.